Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today's lesson is Pathfinder 312 GM Fiat. This is part of our 300 series covering advanced topics. Christian, in this episode, we're going to be talking about scandalous lies. And I'm not talking about lies like, okay, I'll be there on time and I won't cancel last minute. Because that's a lie I have seemed to be unable to stop from any of my groups. Well, it wasn't a lie at the time, technically. <laughs> when, when they said it, it was true. It was just later. It proved to be wrong. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So then this is about it's the car. It's weird how always the same guy is the one doing it, though. <laughs> so this is about the car that you should drive as a GM. That fits all your role-playing material inside and gets you good gas mileage, things like that. I know cars. So I understand this joke. And if anyone thinks I, uh, I don't, they're wrong. Well, Christian, Fiat is a weird word. What is Fiat? It's, depending on how you use it in terms of RPGs or in terms of real life, it, it kind of has a different meaning. Well, Christian, this is RPG show, so I'm going to let you have one guess which one I mean. So taking a terse definition from a forum post on the Stack Exchange RPG website, GM Fiat is when the GM says something is the case, simply because they have the authority to do that and it becomes the case. Gotcha, this is the dice don't control me, I do what I want, get out of here. You, 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 you miss. The GM is inserting something into the world, is declaring an outcome of an action that is not necessarily rooted in the rules of the game. They are simply saying something is, deal with it. Christian, that sounds like cheating with extra steps. <laughs> is it cheating, though? Not everything can be rooted in the rules. The rules only cover so many scenarios and can be restrictive if you're trying to tell a story. You can't just restrict yourself to what's in the rules. Sometimes you can do better than that, and there's not exactly rules to handle what you want to do. Interesting. When I think of GM Fat, I think of things that there are rules to do, but I'm doing something different. Well, this is a really dense topic, and it's something we've tipped our toes into once or twice. I I've done some experiments with different degrees of honesty with my players, and I'm really excited to talk about the results. I'm Philip DeFranco. Let's just jump into it. Let's start off our topic with talking about dice rolls. We've mentioned in the past that GMs are not beholden to the dice results. They're a tool in our arsenal to tell the story. We've also said that players should never lie about their dice rolls and should be beholden to them with the responsibility on the GM for deciding when to override their results using methods such as changing the DC behind the scenes, giving them circumstance bonuses, or I've even just straight up let people succeed as a result of fantastic role playing. It doesn't always go over great with other players like, oh, so I had a role, but he just gets to deceive the person. Well, yeah, John, that's because you told the worst lie imaginable that would never work, but I decided to let you roll anyway and somehow magic you succeeded. And this is where the topic's going to be difficult because technically there's rules for that. There are DCs and circumstance bonuses associated with telling a good lie versus telling an unbelievable lie. Right. And I find this is sometimes where the heart of some GM Fiat comes in in that we don't know all the rules at all times. I'm not an encyclopedia. Sometimes the GM needs to make decisions mm -hmm. that make the most sense as per the story that is currently being told. Let me tell you something. I can't say every because I just don't have the data in front of me. But the vast majority of times I've GM fighted something, I've later looked up, oh, there was a spell for that or there was a rule for that that would have allowed that to happen anyway. One of the times I can think of is I had uh, an enemy cast inflict wounds from a distance, which is a touch spell. I later learned, oh, there's a meta magic to make it ranged. Okay. I, I didn't know that at the time. I just kind of confided, okay, it has it. It can do it at a distance. You'd be surprised how many times that stuff comes up. But anyway, 
In my opinion, if you don't want dice to decide what happens, then don't roll them or don't let the players roll them at all. Role play it out. Admittedly, I'm more of a role player than a dungeon crawler, so my opinion's different than dungeon crawlers, I suspect. But I play home games instead of public games like Pathfinder Society, so that might change a little bit depending on your playstyle and game setting. The choice to decide the dice is what's really important for me there. Whenever I GM, I always tell players, don't roll dice. You're not here to roll dice. I will tell you when I need you to roll dice, because at that point there is now an element of uncertainty and I want the dice to decide what the outlying result of that is. Sometimes you get into games and everyone gets into the habit of like, oh, I'm going to roll sense motive. Oh, I'm going to roll perception. And I think it should be the onus of the GM to tell you when you should be rolling. You should just be rolling all the time. Yeah, weird. Who would have a player that would just keep saying, I want to roll perception without me instigating it? That would be really (laughs) terrible to have, huh? Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. Hmm. No, it's it's true that we both do that. I do it in my own games. I would stop. I'm like, Jim, I said, I'm sorry. I literally say to my listeners, don't do exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to try to back off on this. It usually happens to me with like knowledge checks or if I know a rule, my GM doesn't know it. I'm like, well, maybe I should roll climb, huh? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm with you though. It's, a, it's something I say, but it's not something I always follow through with. I know sometimes I say that and then everyone kind of gets into the route of, well, the dice rolls are how I know how to interact with the game. They're kind of the easiest way to do that. And we kind of get into the pattern of just rolling dice for things. Mm-hmm. Well, for example... Uh, some of the skills, such as bluff or sense motive, I won't even roll if the players role play it well. Especially if it's player versus player and the player wouldn't know if it was a lie or not. I rarely use diplomacy. Understand I'm giving rules for life that doesn't use rules. I don't have a list of scenarios and rules and consult it every time I make a decision. I'm a living, breathing person that does things on a case-by-case basis. If a character is supposed to be persuasive and the player isn't a good speaker, I'll have them roll. Or if a character is made with a bluff build around it, I, of course, won't take that away, all that work that they put into it, and let them make their rolls. Or heck, if a player asks to roll, every time someone says, can I roll sense motive, I tell them yes. But then no matter how they feel, they have to conform to that result. Uh, So I ask them, hey, are you sure you want to roll? Because a lot of times you're asking that because you're already suspicious. Why bind yourself to what the dice say uh, if if it becomes the opposite of what you felt? The fi adding for dice rolls is definitely something that's going to happen. It's going to happen no matter what. And though I think it's healthy to adhere to most of the unsatisfying dice results you get during the course of your gameplay, I mean, people do fail at things. That does happen. It is important to recognize that sometimes the dice do tell horrible stories. You can't just be completely (laughs) beholden by RNG because sometimes it's just really random and unsatisfying. And it's really hard to quantify when this is okay to do or it even is okay to do this but it's mostly about reading your table and the players who are going to be affected by the fiat my general rule of thumb going into this and how i use gm fiat is that i tend to always fiat dice rolls in favor of my players it's kind of a one-way street when i fiat it's typically to help the players but to balance this out I tend to make enemies in situations difficult or very powerful. I think you used an important word there, which you said players. You didn't say characters. Maybe you GM-fighted where the player, the, the character took a hit, but you know it's better to be more fun for the players that that happens. Oh, the character did get, take damage because he fell down the pit, but you know there's a whole other part of the dungeon down there, or if there's something down there that your player's going to have a lot of fun with. You would have to have very short-sighted or uninformed players to be angry at that. I think... For the short-sighted part is the person who doesn't realize, oh, falling down the pit and taking four points of damage that I couldn't avoid, oh boy, led to all this fun. 
anyone would make that trade in a million years unless they're short-sighted. Unless all they see is the four points of damage and don't see it afterwards. It's the person who's upset that the doctor had to cut him open to remove the tumor. Ow, why'd you cut me? Shut up, you're alive now. <laughs> the, um, that's right, I'm, I'm comparing my job with that of a doctor. I'm basically an EMT for your boring life. The buy-in, I think, is very important. You know, you have to have enough of a rapport with your players. And again, like I said earlier, I don't play Pathfinder Society. I'm sorry if this doesn't apply as much. But it's like, trust me, I'm the GM. And if you know me and we've played together enough, you know personally that Caleb Garofolo doesn't enjoy just tearing down his players and making them feel bad and and putting his characters through the ringer and just that's not where i get my fun i get my fun by creating awesome scenarios for you to overcome or cool story beats or things i think you will genuinely enjoy so trust me if i gm fight something it's okay and my i in the groups i've gotten that how are the groups that have run the best? Christian, what's an example of GM5 for your end? I mean, sometimes a player literally cannot roll higher than a two all night. I, I have a player that that was the case almost consistently. When I played Starfinder, I actually switched to a 3d6 instead of a d20 rolling system for that player. So now they roll threes instead of twos. Uh, but when that started happening, I sometimes just give that player a break and I'll just let them re-roll. I'll just say to the... I'll just say to the table, hey, you, this has been going really rough. I don't like what the dice are doing right now. I'm just going to let you re-roll that, and we'll stick with whatever the re-roll says. Or I might just stop asking them as much for dice rolls and just let them do their thing. Like you said, not asking for dice rolls at all. Let the role-playing and the flavor carry out the scene rather than the dice. And that's what we're talking about case-by-case -case basis. That's a great thing to do, and I've had the same scenario, but because my player wasn't angry that he was rolling ones, because he was laughing and everyone was having fun with it, we just kept going, and he kept rolling ones, and we we're all having a good time. Different cases, you do different things. I think it's what GM Fiat is for, to adjust cases to the point that everyone's having fun. But Caleb, my mechanics, my character sheet, and my dice rolls are the way that I have autonomy in the world that we're playing in. I assume you agree that there is a point where GM Fiat becomes too much. You can't do it all the time, and it can't be the sole basis. Otherwise, it's like, why am I here? Absolutely. 100% agree with that. So how do we attempt to quantify this subject into when is it okay? What's the breaking point here? Well, why don't we look at some reasons we've lied to our players before and see if we can't glean some information from that. So one of the reasons I've lied is to make a fight more fun. I've, say, changed the stats of the enemy, boost its AC or its health to extend the fight. I changed its ability DCs around to bring it into that sweet spot, you know, bring a low one up to one that the PCs have a chance of failing or high one down into that the PCs have a chance of succeeding. Or, you know, move the attack or damage dice to bring it into that same sweet spot. Uh, a little note about what I mean by, say, sweet spots. I mean, don't change this per PC. Change it for the group. I've had bad experiences where somebody asks you, what's your bonus, and then sets the DC, and he does that for any time anybody rolls. So for example, if most of my PCs have a plus five to the reflex, and the DC is 20, say I bring it down to 12. One of my players has a plus 10 reflex. When he saves, he's still going to be saving versus that 12. I'm not bringing it up to the same level of challenge as the others. He put points into things that raise his reflex save to be better than normal. I don't want to negate that. I want to reward that. This kind of goes against me saying that I do this in favor of my players most of the time, but sometimes your enemies look completely incompetent and they pose no threat simply because they can't roll over two. That's a case where I would fidget some stats around or maybe fidget some rolls, not because I want to hurt and kill my players, just because there was this buildup and then the dice have decided that this buildup has meant nothing. I 
can see how you say that, but I actually think it doesn't go against what you said. You're you're doing that to make it more fun for your players. And I'm sure, like we said earlier, it's a case-by-case basis. Maybe it's been really funny and everyone's laughing that, you know, some of the tough guys aren't doing anything. And you just kind of let it happen because everyone's laughing. It's become a joke. Uh, another reason I've lied to my players, you know, to make a fight more fun is I would change an attack's resolution. Change a hit to a miss or a miss to a hit. A crit to a normal, a normal to a crit. I could give you an example from season two of Trailblazers, where towards the end, a player was going to die because he got one shot critted at the start of the fight. That wasn't interesting. There was a nice story-based, you know, ending for that person's character. It would have been really dumb if rando enemy number four in the last couple battles killed him right off the bat. So I said, that's not a critical hit. I'm just going to make it a normal hit. And that's where times four multipliers become really, really fun. I've actually <laughs> implemented the house rule that enemies are non-boss type enemies never crit higher than a times two to avoid anticlimactic situations which is like oh he had a war pick and he one shot you sometimes random enemies just start slinging crits left and right and you know you don't want your players to go down so soon and these are supposed to be like throwaway enemies so sometimes you can negate those crits i do that sometimes and again this could be something that's difficult to judge one of the best moments from a campaign that i ran was from a random kobold that was like a slaver and had a crossbow and took out the spellcaster in the party within the first round or two because he just kept critting and he crit every time he fired the crossbow eventually it took the kobold down and there was one enemy left and someone picked up the cross the small size crossbow and then crit the last person with the crossbow (laughs) (laughs) it was a wonderful moment and i could have you know, done what I usually do, but I decided to stick with it and see how my players reacted to it. And we're, we're specifically using the word lying. I'm not telling a player, I don't care what you rolled, you normally hit. I'm lying. My player thinks I rolled a crit behind the screen. Christian, let me use you as an example for times I've lied during a battle. Oh, I'm a You're good example. F- I'm good at being an example, please. <laughs> you were fine with failing a will save that made you fascinated. You said, especially because it tied to your character and the world. The person fascinating you was a good-natured celebrity, so I favored the fascination as you had a flashback to watching them perform with your sibling when you were younger. I tied it to your story and fit the non-violent character of the person using that ability. All rules as written, but with flavor added. But in another battle, when I GM-fighted you missing a turn with flavor that the severe weather affected the battlefield near you, it had the same result of you missing a turn, and it was flavored... But you felt bad about it because it didn't feel earned or you had or you didn't have a chance to resist it. It felt bad because I just imagine Caleb at his computer typing up notes at some point during all the note taking. He said, and then Christian misses his turn. What did I do to deserve that, Caleb? <laughs> Why me? And then Christian stops having fun. I'm a great GM. This is perfect. <laughs> Bold highlight. Make it font ten times bigger. Next one, I'll never forget it. But there, see, that's a case of GM Fiat. I made a decision behind the screens when no rules is written, and it didn't make the battle more fun for you. And I learned from that. And I'm hoping you guys can learn from it, too. Another reason I've lied to my players is to disguise something that went wrong. I put them up against an enemy that was too difficult for them. Oh, I got to fight in the background and make sure I bring this down. I did, Here's a big one. I didn't plan for this session. This doesn't come up so much anymore, and I sure hope it doesn't because that's not the best one to have. It might be difficult for some people to admit that they're wrong or to admit they made a bad judgment call. It can call into question your understanding of the game if you admit you made an encounter wrong or want to avoid the embarrassment of admitting you didn't prepare for the session. I would encourage you to resist this. I think these were two bad reasons I lied to my players. I gotta get over myself. I gotta just be able to admit, hey guys, sorry, I made this encounter wrong. 
to put it aside, maybe we'll come back to it later. My apologies. Sometimes you didn't fully read the stat block and you didn't realize that a creature had an immunity to like the only thing that they had to hurt this creature. And that's the case for I've lied disguised that, oh, I didn't really audit this stat block correctly. You guys technically can't defeat this monster, but uh, that's not how the regeneration thing works today. <laughs> today, he's a little, he's feeling under the weather. This is a modified version of the creature with the little less CR. It's a template, don't you know? <laughs> That's one of the things I was saying, like, you know, behind the scenes, oh, no, their AC is too high. There's literally templates that will lower the AC. I didn't know about them. I wasn't using them, but I'm essentially doing things as they were written, just a little bit differently. I'm using things I didn't know that existed. Another reason I lied to my players is to make players feel like I didn't force an outcome. I want to make players feel like they accomplished something, make them believe that their dice roll made the decision or that their actions created the outcome. A good example of this is false decisions. You know, go left or right, but what they don't know is that both will lead to the same place. This one is interesting to me because it's often true that my players accomplished something or that what happened was a result of their actions, but not in a direct way because of what they roll, but because of a, a larger, less tangible thing they've done or that they are doing. And that's something that's usually left out of this left or right analogy you've seen thrown around a lot. The role-playing world you're in is likely not that simple. Your players are going to come up with different justifications for picking one of these two options over the other. Though the outcome may be similar, their reasoning for making it to that outcome will not be the same and it will effectively be a different story. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's an insult, though. Maybe it's like, you guys won't get that this as a result of your actions over the whole course of the game. I've got to convince you that's what you did just now. Maybe I'm being dumb, but I think also maybe anyone who's going to rely on my memory is going to be failed every time. and be disappointed. <laughs> you know, I could be totally honest with my players in nearly every way, but this might be the one deception I hang on to. I know it will make them feel good to defeat this foe, and if they know it was rigged from the start in their favor, it might water down that feeling. The downside is it takes away from the real against the odd moments. When I have to say the, the when I have to say the sentence, I promise I didn't rig this fight. You guys really just did that awesome thing. All of a sudden, it calls into question everything else. Oh, so you have lied to us before to make us feel we accomplished something we didn't. Now we will always question it. Is that a verbatim conversation you've had with players before? <laughs> yes. I transcribed it. <laughs> the biggest reason I've lied to my players is to make a story. This is also known as railroading. I don't care what you do, want to do, or roll. I have a mind for something to happen. This sort of negative connotation is fixed, I think, when you do care what the players do, what they want to do, and what they roll. I'm creating a cool story for you to be a part of. And specific things going one way or the other is going to end up being fun. It's going to be fun if you fail the save, I promise. This is the short side thing I was talking about earlier. But you gotta know when to use this. Just because the plan is for the enemy escape doesn't mean that when my players beat him, I can't roll with that. The circumstance of things is so important with this. If you know at that point, despite all your plans, if your GM fights is something that the players are going to be angry or unsatisfied with in some way, it's time to pivot. It takes time and experience, but you'll end up getting a feeling that you can GM fight something for the story and know that it'll end up being received well. Mistakes in this manner can feel terrible, however. Like, why am I even playing then bad? Which yeah, is Caleb, the worst way. How did Alarak just dash away, punch open a door, and leave the door all in one turn, Caleb? <laughs> <laughs> you really just want to throw some spoilers in for season two. That's all I'm getting from you here. 
<laughs> All I'm getting is I didn't get the, the player buy-in, and we're not a good group. That's it. End of podcast. <laughs> we didn't send a questionnaire. You didn't send me a questionnaire, Caleb. That's the, that's Sorry, the next time I'll it. send a questionnaire. Are you okay if Alarak punches the door and leaves in the same turn? <laughs> the villain escape method is one that we talked about in other episodes, and I think it's something that comes up a lot because that's just rooted in storytelling. In all the storytelling that we know, villains can be recurring. Villains are there a lot, but we have rules in which we can kill them. And to highlight this, I think the trick here is to do everything you can to keep the Fiat out of their actual escape method. You can always just extend their hit points using Fiat to get to their turn to use their escape method. If you want your enemy to get away, you have endless tools at your disposal that only high-level casters can counter. It's not cheap for an enemy to use any of the inexpensive magic items or low-level spells that give them flight, make them invisible, turn them to mist, drag them to the shadow dimension, etc, etc, etc. The problem, I think, with GM Fiat is when it begins to supplant actual preparation and world building. You have to explore all your options first, and then you say, okay, well, I, I don't have a tool for this, this is what I'm going to Fiat. I think that's really great advice. Especially at that beginning part of keep the fire out of the escape method. It could be everywhere else. I will say that, you know, a lot of this we're saying here, oh, it takes experience and time. A lot of our episodes here are us communicating what we've learned through our experience and time. But this is a case where we can only communicate so much. A lot of it is going to be feeling with, uh, you know, how you feel about your players, which is something obviously we don't have experience with your players. And I feel that GM Fiat is probably something that's going to be very difficult. And I wonder if it's even frowned upon in a place like Pathfinder Society, because you can't ever get that player knowledge. Or no, I shouldn't say you can't ever, but as I understand it, it's rare that you're having the same group of people every time for, you know, months and even a year or years. You develop the rapport and you don't know <laughs> their their mind space that when is it okay to do this? How far can I go with these players? How much do they trust me as a GM? Right. Well, one tip I have is if you're going to let them roll and make them fail despite the roll, only do so if it seems plausible. If they roll a 45 reflex save, come on, no one is going to believe that they failed that. The trap was just made really well. It was made by a master. Oh, legendary. Oh, golden legendary. Look at it. As the axe come down, his little speaker on it, and you hear, Golden legendary. (laughs) That's how your players know. It's made of gold. Look, it's a special trap. It's actual gold. <laughs> I'm referencing a game that all of you have probably played. Anyway, try to avoid these circumstances. If you're an awesome storyteller, you can manage to find a rules-based way for your villain to escape. Or you can find a way that doesn't even have a chance of going badly for your storytelling moment to happen. Don't set yourself up for failure. Like I are talking about, you know, I need them to fall down the trap door, otherwise they won't get to all the cool parts of the dungeon. Well, guess what? Don't make such an easy-to-skip funnel. Have a smarter way to get them to where they need to go. What about justifying why you're lying or GM fighting or deceiving? Players don't often get the whole picture and may never see justification. But I promise you, if you have it, it not only can you roleplay better and in a more realistic fashion, but there is that satisfying answer that it isn't just because I needed it to happen. So I've got three types of justification for you. The first one is doing something for mechanical purposes. To give you guys good examples, I'm going to have to do some spoilers for Season 2. So for the next, why don't we put a time limit on it? Uh, I'm going to guess it's going to take us no more than five minutes. We're going to have some spoilers for Season 2. So the first type of justification I want to talk about is doing something for mechanical purposes. Players were thrown in Solzhenitsyn's prison with all their equipment. The original reason was I needed them to have all their equipment for the fight that was about to come up next. The justification for it was that Suchin Ra is clever enough to trick Landris 
not smart enough to loot him. And this isn't a typical adventuring world. Suchinra has more than enough money to make him happy. What would the possessions of a random denizen of the city have that would matter to him? Paltry cash, which he already weaseled out of him. A laughably low-tech weapon like a bow. For Solzhenitsyn, he just threw his prisoner into a place he knew no one could get out of. It doesn't matter what he would have. The second reason is the be- isn't the best, but it's something. A uh, second type of justification is doing something for story purposes. My players couldn't get much information out of Baron when they had him and were interrogating him. The original reason was, I don't want the mystery solved yet. It's way too soon. The justification was Baron has faced death many times. He's a political genius. He knows that information is the only thing he has and that giving that away won't endear or indebted his captors to him. It will simply make him no longer valuable to them and that they'd have no reason not to kill him and every reason to do it. And the third kind of justification I want to talk about is doing something for character motivation reasons. Kintaro was nervous about showing personal displays of affection. The original reason is the exact same as the justification is he had that past with his sister. This one's kind of cool because I had no reason in mind for this from the beginning. Story came out of this instead of the other way around. I think it's really, really important to have these justifications. And sometimes maybe you're like, uh, you know, you like say this didn't actually happen where I'm making fun of what just happened in this show. Christian goes, oh, Alarak could just leave and escape the door. I'm like, yes, all right, but there was also four people with him and we didn't take five turns, did we? One guy opened up the door, then the other guys ran through and it was your player that threw the grenade and blew up the things behind it. Now, wasn't it? Like you can find these justifications, but it always feels worse when it wasn't something you planned ahead of time. If you find yourself doing fi adding a lot, you just have to stop and ask yourself, why are you doing it? See if it falls within what you think is a good justification. If you find yourself doing it because, well, I like this NPC too much, that's probably not a great justification. (laughs) I had a story moment in one of my campaigns where there were two people that were afflicted with effectively a curse. And there was a cure being made for it. They really liked one of the two people. They liked the first guy that was infected with the curse. They did not like the second guy. The second guy was like a murderer. They really didn't like him. I had it in the story that the first prototype of this cure was going to fail and kill the recipient. And the players obviously didn't know this. They had no idea. They trusted the person making the cure. And they wanted to give it to the person they really liked. And I, as a GM, felt that. I was like, they really like this character. They like him a lot. (laughs) I say it cracked a little bit. I think I had the guy that they didn't like approach them and be like, you're not going to give me the cure first, are you? And they were like, "Mm, no, don't really like you that much. Uh, But I stuck with it and ended up being a very, very powerful story moment. Despite the fact that I liked that NPC and I really liked the player's interaction with that NPC, the first one, the one that they liked, ended up having to die. I think most bad justifications come from a selfish thing when you're considering only your feelings or only your intentions and not your players when i justify because i'm doing something for the story it's not because i think i'm a perfect storyteller it's because i think my players will enjoy this part of the story when i'm using from a mechanical purpose it's not because well i think it's realistic and realistic should supersede everything they shouldn't have their weapons when they fight souls and nitsons you know boss area but no i'm doing for mechanical they'd have more fun if they had their equipment so there's the justification it's always got to be rooted in the fun of everyone at the table not just your preferences let's talk about meaningful choice if you want to give your players the opportunity for meaningful choice without lying to them or pulling the whole both directions lead to the same place thing i would recommend what feels to me to be the most satisfying and i have gotten great feedback on this Multiple things are happening in the world. Your players choose what to participate in. This is what makes your world come to life. Because when they finish one thing, the other events are still 
happening. This will only lead to meaningful choice, but this will lead to a lot of cool things like the the world feels alive, the NPCs feel alive. Your players don't feel like they're in a video game anymore. They feel more like they're in a real world. In my opinion, this is the way to do meaningful choice. Not left or right, they both led to the dungeon. Her der der. Meaningful choices in my mind, stem from a GM who truly understands the world and the actors in it, and they take their time to craft complex scenarios, though they can pick what they attend to, what scenario they're going to be going to. That scenario itself should have choices within it, and this is something that I think you should try to force yourself to do more often as a GM. Put choices in the player's hands to see what they do. When you craft a combat, you want to have goblins that raided a caravan. You want your players to fight a bunch of goblins. Well, how do you set up that scene? Players come across goblins that already raided a caravan, and then your players just roll up and fight them and kill them. There's not really any meaningful choices to make there. Instead, the players come across goblins in the midst of sieging a caravan, and the players choose which parts of the caravan they move to protect first. There are actual choices they're making there. It's a bit harder to set that scene up because now you have to somehow describe to them the importance of one part of the caravan versus the other. Oh, the kids are in this section of the caravan. The merchants are in this section of the caravan. A lot harder to do, requires a lot more preparation, but in the end will end up being a more interesting scene and a more interesting choice in your player's hands. This is interesting. You sort of zoomed down. I was talking about a bigger area, but then you zoomed down into like just designing an encounter, which you're right. And I just realized I've done that before, like with... um you know, early in season two, there was a battle and you had to choose what areas were you going to secure of the battlefield. And depending on the ones you picked, the enemies had different equipment. Some other examples of decisions I've tried to put in the player's hands, just small things to do. The antidote I talked about, the NPC that was making the antidote came to them and said, hey, I have this test antidote. Who do you want me to give it to? Rather than just saying, oh, I'm going to give it to this person. Players are damaged and they need to heal, say, ability damage. Well, they visit someone that can heal it, and they say, well, I can't heal all the ability damage at once. You're damaged in three scores here. They obviously won't talk like that. But they'll say, I can really only heal one of these at a time. You make the decision, what would you rather have, dexterity or wisdom right now? Party has a cursed item they have to lug around. It affects whoever's carrying it, but it's not a cursed item that's, like, linked that you can't get rid of. Well, who's going to be the patsy who's carrying around the spooky cursed item today? So then your Mm -hmm. players have to make that choice, and they'll fight with each other, like, I held it the last three days. It's somebody else's turn to hold the cursed dagger. It's screaming in my brain constantly. And while these are all great choices, these are all very narrow choices. I like to zoom things out a little bit. And just to reiterate, I think these are all great choices. But when I think about real world choices, I zoom way out. I mean, like the inferior version of this is if you have three days to stop the assassination attempt on the king you learned about, or go save the village from the goblin attack, choose. Mm -hmm. Things are going on in the world. In the course of normal play, NPCs are living their lives, and things change when the players do things, and other things progress as they would without the player's interaction. You don't have to give them this, here is the very obvious A or B choice that the programmers put into the game, which again, as we said, has its place especially when you zoom in but when you zoom out it's just like what are my players naturally doing oh they want to go kill the lich okay but they interact with other parts in the world and those things are going to go on without them and they would have gone differently if the players had decided to do something else those are those are the kind of things i'm talking about those are the things that make a really cool world and really reward player choice and the players feel like they're driving the story i should get rid of the word feel Because feel kind of implies that it's not true. Your players are 
driving the story and affecting the world in the way they choose, not in the pre-programmed way that the game developer, or in this case, the GM chose. It's why role-playing video games usually only give you so much of this feeling. And the games that people enjoy more kind of give you more options than the ones that people enjoy less that feel linear. Because you can only program so many things in the role-playing world. And this is, I feel bad about this because this is something that like we talked about in the 100 series. It's kind of the basic concept that look, hey, the tabletop RPG is more flexible than a video game. But when it comes to player choice, I think it's especially applicable. Leverage that. Leverage the benefit of this medium. And you can almost look at it as a balancing act. This is your counterbalance to how much GM fiat are you doing. You want to ask yourself, well, how many meaningful choices have they made versus how many times have I fiated? You want to make sure that it's definitely more in the players and characters' choices versus the GM fiating. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about our last subject for today, experiments and total honesty. In season two of Trailblazers, I experimented with being mostly honest with my players, nearly entirely honest with my players. I would say entirely honest, but I don't have a perfect memory. There may be one or two things I didn't tell them, but it was almost everything. Telling, I literally told one player to undo his death because of story reasons. Like, yeah, you're not going to die here. Sorry. It was the thing that I'm going to undo what happened to you. Uh, Or I told players how the final few sessions were going to work out. It's a little more, you know, podcasting reasoning, which is a scenario you might, you're kind of unlikely to come across, but it still happened. Whenever I GM on roll 20, I roll openly and I tell the players the DC to make. It's gone well with almost no negative cases to speak of, if any. It's gone really well. My entire career, I've rolled behind the screen, rolling essentially in front of them on when we use our virtual tabletop where they can see my rolls and I say make a DC 20 reflex save. The fact that it's gone well has really sort of changed my mind about this whole thing. In season one of Trailblazers, I experimented with luck points. It's a system from Numenera uh, where essentially the players are told the thing that you just wanted to do, I'm going to GM intervene. You get an experience point or in the case of season one, you get a luck point and instead goes like this. One of my players said something to the point of, oh yeah, things would go normally, you know, unless Caleb decided to steal something from us. (laughs) Did not go well for it. You know, maybe it has to be ingrained into the system like Numenera's is. It can't be something that you just kind of throw in to a different system. That didn't, that sort of openness didn't go well. That's, that's a very curious difference. The difference between I'm rolling the dice, you're seeing what happens and then telling your players, hey, I lied to you in season two, which worked out very well. And then telling my players in season one, hey, I'm changing things. And it didn't work out well. It's, I think that came down to in many ways how I did it. And the fact of the players I was playing with. That was for David's first time playing an RPG. And it I don't think he had the vision of, oh, Caleb's making it more interesting for us. It was, oh, he's stealing something from me. Well, in the latter case, the luck points, you can almost see it as that being a reactive solution versus season two being a preemptive solution. Hmm. And that it feels reactive from the GM, like a knee-jerk reaction, like, oh, well, this doesn't happen. Sorry, just taking that away. Versus right. telling them beforehand that, hey, these are how things are. I kind of have this plan of this going out this way. So if you could do what you can to fit within those confines, that'd be great. And in that case, the when you have the ability to tell them and they know, hey, I'm changing this, then we kind of lose some things we said earlier in this episode where it's like, when I... I don't ever tell my players your dice roll isn't what it was. If my players rolled something, that's the the result. I don't change that. I can change things behind the screen to a certain extent. 
when I have the freedom of just saying, yeah, I know you rolled the natural critical hit. I see that roll. It didn't happen. GM intervention, take a luck point. I'm going exactly that same thing we talked about. The luck points is just putting a limiter on how often you can do that. Not really making it in such a way that it feels healthier for the game, just that I'm not going to do it so often. And there's kind of these narrow lines of play I can follow to do that. It's really setting you up to take away all the finesse and making the the sort of hard decisions of what you should and shouldn't do when you have the ability to do it with anything. So I'm actually, I'm really leaning away towards GM fight that occurs without the player knowledge. I think there are still some cases where I would, but I think at least with the, the sort of players I usually play with and have a good rapport with, I'm going to be pretty honest in most ways. It's really, I'm surprised how well it's worked out being honest. Because the, the whole reasons I've lied before have almost always been like those non-selfish good reasons to kind of create a better story. So I'm not surprised that, you know, those things worked out well because they were done for, you know, good reasons. And then, so it was entirely surprising when it's like, yeah, who cares? Guess what? They're human. I'm about to insult myself really bad. Hey, guess what, Caleb? They're humans that understand that. Oh, oh, they they get that. (laughs) Oh, okay. I guess there was no reason to keep it from them because they're reasonable people that are like, oh, yeah, if you're doing something for my benefit, of course. And talking through these things with your players is something that will help build a rapport with them if you don't already have one there. When I am rolling in front of my players, there are for moments that I'm okay with not changing what happens. Because, hey, if they get crit or if they the kobold rolls a one every time, it's fine. It's just the battle is kind of funny or it makes the battle more intense or whatever. It's something that they later on talk about, man, I can't believe we beat... The Vrock, even though the Vrock wasn't supposed to be challenging, but it rolled 20, whatever, all these cool things happen. I'm okay with not having to change that behind the screens. And the case where I do allow myself to have GM fight are the cases where I wouldn't roll in front of them anyway, where, you know, story-based things and, and all the other stuff we talked about earlier that doesn't exactly involve a roll that I'm GM fighting for the story. So I guess when I, I've realized that for most roles that I'm doing anyway, it's fine to roll in front of them because they're not things I'm going to normally GM fight anyway. And then when I do come across the case where rolling would stop me from GFIing, there's stuff that I would fight because I'm selfish and I'm prideful. Now I can no longer say, hey, I was wrong. This guy's too powerful for you. You can see it because I'm rolling a, a two and still hitting you. Obviously, you know, we can all see that now. But I can be a big enough person to say he was too powerful. Now, you've been GMing for how long, Caleb, until you felt like you were at that point to do that? to be comfortable with the level of fire you're at? Uh, it's taken, what, four years? So I think it's definitely something that you need to you need to work on. I think you're going to be doing it more often in your early stages of GMing because you're not perfect at balancing. You don't know the whole system. You don't know all the mechanics. But it always comes back to why are you doing it. Make sure you're doing it for a good reason. You know, we had an opportunity to talk with Pathfinder co-creator F. Wesley Schneider about this topic. Why don't we hear what he had to say about it? We're doing an episode on lying to your players, a complicated subject, and I I would like to know where do you stand on it. I think most GMs have this sort of stance where there's a reason I have a screen and I lie about my roles. At what point do you make that knowledge available to your players? They know there's this unspoken thing that he's lying sometimes, that he's doing something that the dice didn't really say. How far does that go when you actually let your players know about that? I feel like that it is not only an option as a GM, it is your duty and responsibility as a GM to lie to your players 100% of the time. Like, never, 
Well, always keep them on, <laughs> off balance. Never let them you've know what's happening. You've never told the truth. Never told them the truth about a single thing. The rules are Every an time you've rolled a 19, you've said 18. Absolutely. Die rolls are all just there to make a sound. I mean, there's no point. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's going to go the way that I want it to go anyway, so why would I leave it up to chance or, you know, really um, the agency of anyone else at the table? Uh, no, I mean, we were talking about this before. Like, I'm a big fan of <laughs> I shouldn't have said gaslighting before because now I almost was just like, I'm a big fan of gaslighting my players. And that sounds messed up, but it's also 100% accurate. You know, gaslighting for fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of being a benevolent dictator. So as long as everybody's a good time, who cares about the means, the mode, or the method? But who GMs the jammers? <laughs> The number of times I've been thinking about Watchmen as I've been having this conversation with these guys. Um, <laughs> it's the sort of thing where it's like, I think that it is useful to lie. If you're going to lie to the players, you want to do it for the betterment of the game and you want to do it probably in the um, player's favor. Like, I would never roll the die behind the screen and be like, oh, that was a crit. I guess you're dead. I mean, like, I don't see the point of that. <laughs> More often than not, I roll my dice in front of the players just because that's, frankly, it adds to the tension. But it's also the sort of thing where the GM is, well, the, the Game Master is the Game Master. I mean, it's up to them to make sure that not just the game works, but everybody's having a good time they're there to create a cool experience and if the experience can be moved from maybe a b level game to an a level game by taking it this direction and you can you know just scoot things by a little bit if you can just like make the machine tilt or hit a little bit on the side and then it goes the perfect way then yeah that's but I was joking about it before, but as a GM, that's sort of your responsibility. Like, you're not there for B grade. You're there for A grade stuff. So make it cool and do what you have to. Awesome. Well, thank you for your input on that. Yeah. Well, Christian, let's talk about our conclusions about this topic. I have found that honesty with my players has worked out really well. I now only lie to my players rarely, usually for combat purposes, and always for their favor, whether that be a tangible results-oriented favor, or so that they can feel they accomplished something without my help. The way I handle real choice helps to avoid the illusion of choice. When I do use a illusion of choice, it's usually to actually give my players more options, instead of one choice actually leading to one result, it's... One choice that determines the order of the two results. Left or right will lead to room one. The other direction will lead to room two because for whatever reason I need them to visit it in that order. That sort of thing. And due to the way I'm doing this, it's obvious at times when I'm lying. If I'm being so honest all the time, the moment I start rolling behind the screen or not saying the DCs anymore... People know I might be allowing myself the opportunity to lie. That's the only sort of kind of downside of being so honest. If I have player trust in my GMing abilities, they could know that I'm lying or ring something in some way, but they know it's not adversarial and it's for their good, for the whole table's good. Using GM Fiat is a tool in your arsenal, but I think that it should be the last tool in your arsenal. It's what you sometimes have to take out when all other planning has failed, or Lady Luck has simply decided to be especially fickle tonight. Proper planning of your story, creation of your world, and balancing of your encounters will minimize the times that you need to flex the Fiat muscle. 
And just when you do have to do it, just ask yourself if you're doing it for your players, or are you doing it for yourself? And again, we don't mean the players in short term, but we mean in respecting the players crafting a story together with you. Well, it's a contentious topic. I know we've we've kind of had some solid ideas on it, but I know there are a lot of people are going to have different opinions. Some people are rules is written all the time, dice only, uh, dice results all the time, or they're a different uh, you know place of play or a method of play, like we were talking about with Pathfinder Society. And I think that long as you're all at the table for the same game and you all kind of have that opinion, you're going to have a good game. We've said it a bunch of times, but there's groups for everybody. You just got to make sure you're all there for the same kind of game. Well, that's been GM Fiat. Thank you all for listening. Class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. This episode was edited by Devin Tonnell. This is Johan Martins. Thanks for listening. Oh, hey, didn't see you there. My friend Christian and I were just getting ready to open up our presents. Hey, Caleb, do you think these guys would be interested in joining us? You know, I bet they would. I mean, if they listen to Pathfinder Academy, they gotta be cool, right? If role-playing games are your thing, why don't you guys check out our other podcast, Trailblazers? Trailblazers is an actual play podcast where you can see many of the concepts addressed in this show come to life. Season 2 of Trailblazers has been great so far, and I especially like that you can get into it without any prior knowledge of Season 1. It's definitely a fun adventure, especially if you like mysteries and a dash of cyberpunk with your fantasy. If high fantasy is more your style, then consider giving Season 1 a listen. You can find Trailblazers on iTunes. We've got a bunch of other ways to listen as well, so go to our site tblazer.net for a complete list of the ways that you can listen. So go ahead, get some eggnog, pour yourself a cup of cheer, grab some dice, and join us. Alright Christian, this one's for me, open it up! Oh, Caleb, a, a bag of dice. How unexpected.